Hello, listeners. My name is Jason Jeffries, and I'm your host for Bookin, brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is essayist and arts advocate Andre Perry, author of Some of Us Are Very Hungry Now, a new collection of essays published by our friends at Two Dollar Radio. Andre, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And Andre, uh, first, thank you for writing this fantastic collection, and thank you for sharing it with us through $2 Radio. My first question for you is, who is Emma? (laughs) I can't give that away, can I? (laughs) That's up to you. Um, (laughs) Emma's um, my partner, and uh, that's, that's the name that that she takes in when she, when she pops up in essays or literature that I'm working on. Excellent. Thanks. And I want to talk to you first about these letters to Emma at the back of this collection. Uh, the first mentions an acquaintance, Brian, who you don't necessarily like that much, but who you were drawn to get drunk with, uh, who when you look at him, you fall in love with the idea of him as you write. Can you tell us about this relationship or about this type of relationship? Yeah, um, I think it's something that some of us experience, you know, maybe when we're younger, maybe when we go through periods where perhaps we're drinking or imbibing in something else, maybe more than we should. And you're, I think your compass is in, as always has steady as it could be and when you're living in that kind of gray space or that unstable space um, I guess I should only speak for myself I found myself you know sometimes being able to like you know get caught up in, in the romantics of a situation and the possibility of a situation because I think any time that you're you know maybe drinking too much or you know indulging in something too much it's really just a way to be not addressing bigger issues in your life or bigger things that you're trying to work out um it's really just like having an emotional credit card right you're just like not ready to pay in full whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in your life and sometimes when you're in that space or sometimes when i'm in that space or have been in that space it's like you start to look for these other you know these other visions these other dreams or these other people who who maybe you kind of like momentarily fall in love with or fall in love with the idea of them um which is really just another method of escape from dealing with yourself um so i know that's a, a really long answer to like a really specific point in like one essay but uh but i think that's that's what's going on beneath the surface right that was a perfect answer thank you so much andre and the second letter to Emma involves a close call in a vehicle, a possible brush with death where you recall your parents telling you to be careful and you wonder in this moment of clarity if such simple wisdom were inspired by the moment you just lived through or the types of moments uh, like the one you just lived through. Can you tell us um, what happened in this essay first and then talk to us about the nature of this epiphany? Um, so it's a really brief essay, but it recounts this uh, trip I was on where I was, I was driving across country uh, toward Colorado, coming from the Midwest, from Iowa and Nebraska, in the middle of an ice storm. And uh, I was 
form and lost control of the car that I was driving. Uh, just kind of lifted up off the road. And what I was trying to do in that essay is just like really just capture these moments that aren't very long in terms of time, you know, in terms of the actual seconds where the thing is occurring, mm-hmm. but there's something that our bodies and our brain does where it literally slows down time and you're given the ability very briefly to just kind of assess where you're going or where you might go or in that moment even think that you might be gone forever. Um, that's what I was trying to capture. That, that's that's one of the reasons why I wrote the piece is just like, one, how fleeting life can be, how quickly chapters can take a turn or lives can take a turn and also just like the terrifying beauty of being able to sometimes see it that is happening very quickly that could have such devastating ramifications for yourself or for the world and being able to like kind of like step back for a moment and be like oh okay this is what's happening um that was the essence i was trying to capture when when digging into that brief but um but at least important to me um that's it Right on, thanks, Andre. And uh, in the final, the third and final letter to Emma, you write about a Kendrick Lamar concert in Iowa City, where much of the crowd was white and singing along with lyrics that they probably should not be identifying with or singing with such verve. Uh, can you talk about this moment and maybe how this type of moment has spread through hip hop culture over the past few decades for people of all races? Yeah. I- I think there's a lot going on uh, in that essay. Um, there was a lot going on in that moment as it happened in, my, in reality in my life. Um, and I don't know if I even have the tools to really still fully unpack it. And the way, the reason I'm saying that is because I think, I literally think that American music, whether it's extremely popular and millions of people are listening to it, or if it's more avant-garde and it's only got a niche audience, um, there's, so much that we haven't fully collectively faced in terms of like the actual history of our country, um, in terms of like the conquest of this land, and in terms of like the labor that people put into this land for free, um, in terms of other class issues that span across, you know, within and beyond race and ethnicity. Um, that when you listen to American music from the most popular to the most experimental, it's like actually serving as a piece of American history text and so even the Britney Spears song or the Justin Timberlake song or the Kendrick song or the Philip Glass composition like all of that music is holding a piece of what we are as Americans within it and in this particular you know you know Kendrick uh, album Good Kid Mad City which is like a really beautiful narrative album that I think really captures um, the experience of being black living in South Central Los Angeles living in Compton and, and just like you know almost like Kendrick's arc is who he was as a really young guy um, and that's like heavy you know and like some of it's funny and some of it's you know relatable to a lot of us and some of it's maybe not relatable but we're attracted to it because he tells the story so well and it's just like such a beautiful expressionistic piece of work um, but there are also like lines that you know like maybe some of us or some people should or shouldn't cross you know and, and I think what this essay was looking at was particularly you know the use of the use of the n-word in one of the songs and that being like almost like picked up and celebrated by this like mostly white audience which if you were like actually listening to the lyrics and understanding what he's saying about the world that would seem like the thing that 
you wouldn't do, right? And so I, I wonder then and I wonder now, like how much are we really listening? How much are we really understanding the music, the stories that artists or people are telling us? Um, and that's something that, you know, just as Americans, whether we're young or old or middle-aged, that's something we should be thinking about. Um, I know it's fun to like listen to a lot of kinds of music, Kendrick's album, Good Kid, Mad City, it bumps. It's an awesome, just like record to have on your stereo or in your car. Mm. But there's a lot going on beneath the surface, and we also need to respect that subtext, along with just like the immediate power of the flow and the beats. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Andre. Um, let's depart from these letters and uh, Finnegan's Wake our way back to the beginning of this book. Some of us are very hungry now. Um, at the opening of the first essay, Language and Other Weapons, the first thing that jumps out is the formatting, as the essay reads like a screenplay, then the content, and then the allusions, uh, Toni Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Gwen Stefani, Boondocks. Can you talk about the format of this essay and then how you use popular artistic culture to tell this story sure thing like it's some of the things that I'm talking about in the book overall I feel center on the intersections the collisions the overlaps between how we move through our lives and how we deal with class how we deal with gender and sexuality how we deal with race with ethnicity and at least for me, sometimes it's just like really difficult to find the right format to um, talk about to talk about the, all those collisions because it's like it's sometimes it like seems so complex. Even the, like in your chest, it's like hard to put into words and hard to put onto a page. And so, I at some points in the book, I really played with format because it just gave me a way of saying something that I just couldn't say in any other way, like through like just regular standard or traditional prose and you know using the screenplay allowed me to get at some ideas allowed me to use like metaphor in a way that I just wasn't able to do otherwise and you know there's also like a teleplay there's also um, the use of like emails and like and later in the book you know there's you know just exerting like you know quotes and other you know pieces of just like text or um, or people and just always trying to like mess with the format as like a channel to actually be able to say something that is otherwise impossible for me to say in plain language. So that's why there's that excitement or that use of of, of format um, in non traditional ways. I think some of with some of these essays in their original versions, you know, like way way back, um, it might have just been like more playful and just like trying to just experiment for experiment. But when it came to calling together this collection as like um, a unified arc, uh, that's when I was like forced to put pressure on which formatting, you know, which formatting playfulness was actually appropriate to the messaging and which of it was fun, but just like maybe didn't make sense in this final manuscript. Right, thanks. And Andre, I'm going to jump out of this book. Some of us are very hungry now for a moment. We'll jump back in after the break. Uh, but first, as someone who directs a festival here in Raleigh, I am curious about your work with the Mission Creek Festival in Iowa City and the Witching Hour Festival. Uh, what are these festivals? Do they have philosophies and why did you start them? Yeah, so Mission Creek Festival is actually going into its 15th year in 2020 with the Iowa City version and it began 
as a Mission Creek Music and Arts Festival in the Bay Area in San Francisco. I used to work for that version, and when I moved to Iowa City, uh, I got the opportunity to uh, collaborate with my friends Tanner Illingworth and uh, Jeff Ray and create the version that's here. And and it's always been about music and literature, and has was kind of developed an idea of like what happens when you put writers and lovers of literature in the same room as people who also make and love music um, with the assumption that there would be a lot of overlap between these people. And in terms of the mission of the actual festival, it's really about seeking out independent voices in the music and literary world and finding voices that maybe sometimes are already known people, but they've always just kind of been on their own, um, or finding those emerging voices or those perspectives that maybe don't get as much stage time or as representation in other events that are happening in our immediate community in Iowa City or, you know, in festivals, you know, generally speaking nationwide. So um, all that translates into a four-day festival in downtown Iowa City um, with lots of writers, with uh, lots of music, with readings, with conversations with concerts with um, discussions between musicians and writers and it's just a, it's a way just to like celebrate uh, the independent community um, across those mediums excellent thank you Andre uh, listeners we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor and then I will be right back with Andre Perry the Bookin' Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Andre Perry, author of Some of Us Are Very Hungry Now, published by our friends at $2 Radio. Andre, I used to live in San Francisco. Uh, when did you live there? I lived in San Francisco from 2000 to 2005. Nice. And um, when I lived there, I used to go to Aardvark Books all the time. And as such, a scene that sticks with me in this book is that of the bookseller, um, a man that you thought you had a friendly relationship, uh, running out of Aardvark, Aardvark Books to the sidewalk and berating you for um, for what? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he berated us on our on our moving day as uh, in the classic urban uh, moving tradition. We we left some of our things on the sidewalk, and people were determining what what they didn't want to take. Uh, and he wasn't very happy about that, and it like within itself didn't seem like enough to kind of break someone and send them into anger but like for some reason they caught him on the wrong day at the wrong moment and he just kind of flipped out um, on myself and and my roommates who were moving out and it became this like really violent scene uh, on the street 
in San Francisco. Um, it was just a poignant moment. I think, you know, just kind of like, again, just like froze time for people, uh, you know, like in the scene and, and around us just wondering what was going on. Um, it, was, it was a really intense moment. Um, but I also did spend uh, a lot of time in Art Arc. It was a beautiful bookstore. Yeah, absolutely. And it's closed now. Uh, but if it were not, would you go back in? Of course. Uh, and I, I did go back in. So, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> despite one traumatic or, like, intense uh, argument of, or, you know, difficult incident between two people living in a community, uh, yeah, of course, always support your local independent bookstores. Great. Thank you so much. And, Andre, in the second essay of this book titled We Thought We Were Rock and Roll, uh, you write about Soma and the mission and Polk Street and the hideout. What is it about the Tenderloin and the Polk Street Gulch and the Edinburgh Castle, which you write about in the following essay, um, and is also, by the way, where I went to drink a pitcher of beer after the borders I managed in Union Square announced they were closing due to bankruptcy? What is it? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, what is it about these places that is so gritty, so equally romantic and disgusting? And how did the setting translate into this time of your life? Wow, well, I think that could be like the subject of its own book. However, <laughs> within our limited time here, um, I uh, I really loved, still love, just that Hulk Street. Um, because it says, I feel like it represents so much, so many different elements of San Francisco from like being more up in like Russian Hill to Knob Hill to going into the tender nom, into the tenderloin, and then kind of south to Market Street. There's just so much that happens, and there's so many different kinds of communities that exist. And, you know, as San Francisco has experienced so much gentrification in the last 15, 28 years, I guess it's always happening, you know. The tenderloin is always, you know, it's changing and the situation is worse, worsened, I think, for a lot of the, but it has been, I think, more resistant, culturally speaking, than some of the other areas of the, of the city have. And so there, seem, there seems to be something that's always a like part of the heart of San Francisco there. And it's not like this beautiful heart that you would, you know, show to your parents. It's like something that is like a little bit grittier, a little bit more underground. And I don't think it's just about being in love or being attracted to this thing that's like underground it's also that this thing is like has been a hotbed for creativity um you know i mentioned a couple of places there like the, the edinburgh castle was a great place to go have a beer but it's also a great place for experimental or uh just even like regular rock to like to flourish for artists to have a space to like present their work um i know it's not there any longer but the hemlock tavern was one of the most important i think artistic hubs of the city it's where like locals could actually present music or have a poetry night or just gather with their artistic people and and have a beer or a cigarette or whatever it is that they do um and those places are are super important you know it's nice to be in a place like san francisco or or even raleigh or where i live and to like have like some nice venues like you know the great american music hall or the fillmore where you're seeing these national touring artists but i think the heart and soul of a local art scene needs places where local artists can go and present their work or see the community's work um so that's that, that those are some of the reasons i was, I was attracted to those areas 
Right. And, um, you know, speaking of, of Iowa City and Raleigh, a lot of this book, Some of Us Are Very Hungry Now, sort of spoke to me in the way that um, my two tenures in San Francisco were sandwiched with tenures in Columbia, South Carolina and Raleigh, North Carolina, which are both college towns. And you, Andre, write about San Francisco and Iowa City, another college town. Uh, what drew you to such distinctly different places? And do you attempt to project consistency on your life experience when imagining yourself in such different settings? I think the thing that attracted me to the places were maybe the reasons were mundane. Uh, I mean, from the East Coast, I grew up in D.C., and... Uh, I was, I really wanted to leave that, those communities on the East Coast. I didn't want to end up living at home. Um, And so I just took a chance and I moved out to San Francisco. I got really lucky. It was a time when there were a lot of jobs because it was the first internet boom. Mm. And so the scrutiny for hiring people was really low. and so that got my foot in the door in San Francisco and then the whole market crashed and I lost my job, but um, but then it became a lot cheaper to live there and it was affordable at least for some time to kind of do some meaningful work in my day job and also to be involved in music and literature and other art at night. So that's what got me to San Francisco. I just got a job and I was like, I gotta get away from home. Mm-hmm. And then to move to Iowa City, it was, I made a concerted effort that I was going to step away from the professional world for a few years um, and and go to school. And I came to Iowa City to go to the University of Iowa to attend the nonfiction writing program and and get my MFA. And I didn't even want to come to Iowa City initially. Uh, I applied to schools in California. I applied to schools in New York and I got into them. But then just like the economic reality of trying to one, be able to afford those schools and also be able to afford living in the in those areas just it just wasn't gonna happen and I didn't have external funds coming from somewhere else where I could make that happen. So uh, Iowa gave me a free ride and uh, they gave me a stipend and that so I guess I'm always in debt to the University of Iowa because they just made it like financially possible for me to engage with like becoming a better artist and to be in an artistic community which is like actually like a massive gift um so um that's what got me here (laughs) right thank you so much andre um in the title essay some of us are very hungry now you write about a woman uh you were dating in iowa city miranda who was looking for a post-collegiate job as a librarian uh, just as you were about to leave for hong kong um why were you going to hong kong and can you tell our listeners how you managed this with miranda yeah so um Again, I think the reason was mundane. I had a really good, um, the head of our program at that time was really good at seeking out opportunities. I wasn't like a star student. I actually came in, I think, really behind a lot of the other um, writers here. And But um, but I was involved and I, I was, I think, generally positive. And so this, this instructor uh, helped me get this grant to go to Hong Kong and there were a number of other students who were going as well. And so again, University of Iowa helped me like fund, you know, this experience to go to Hong Kong, which I knew was just like an amazing opportunity to, I'd never been to Hong Kong, let alone mainland. 
writing option, so I just took it. In concurrent to that, I've been writing for um, this really awesome music, uh, online music magazine called Coke Machine Glow, and they were encouraging me to like write about the underground music scene while I was there, and so that kind of became the impetus. Is like, got this grant from the school, so my travel's covered, and I've got this like reason to be there to, to write about music, and that's what got me to Hong Kong, and that was also happening at the same time that uh, I was in this relationship that was dissolving uh, between this person called Miranda, um, who's a wonderful person, but we just went through this really difficult time where our relationship kind of like broke into tatters, and I, I know I'm not alone in having these relationships that break up and sometimes they go on a little bit longer because in this case myself maybe I wasn't weak enough to like end it earlier and just stand firm and and and, and maybe save both of us like emotional carnage um and I failed in that and I think that's something that maybe not everyone faces but but some of us do and I thought that was important to capture because it like seemed like looking around me and like seeing like something that happened frequently, especially as I got older, understood how sometimes difficult relationships are to exit. Very easy to enter, but very hard to exit in graceful ways. And I just wanted to examine that and to really put a lens on, you know, the weaknesses that we might have as humans um, when it comes to ending something. Yeah, Andre, and why... Why do you think that is? Because I think that it is natural and um, especially to to some folks and not only with relationships, but jobs and um, many other things, really. Why let things linger that um, we know are concretely finished? In in terms of relationships, uh, you know, on one side, I think we want insurance and we don't want to be alone. And so sometimes better to stick in something even if it's not perfect than to like start off on our own that like that takes a lot of courage mm-hmm. um which I guess is fine in, in, in some regards but the, only, the problem with it is that you also have someone else's emotion and someone else's life and someone else's vision and balance it's okay if like you're just if it just involved you but um that's why it's maybe irresponsible to, to take that route uh I don't know if we're we don't want to be alone and uh we're generally scared and um and maybe not all of us are as strong as, as we maybe project ourselves to be on a daily basis to the public around us. Right. Thank you so much, Andre. Listeners, I've been speaking with Andre Perry, author of the fantastic collection of essays, Some of Us Are Very Hungry Now, published by our friends at $2 Radio out of Columbus, Ohio. Andre, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Andre Perry for joining me. Signed copies of Some of Us Are Very Hungry Now can be pre-ordered in person at Quill Ridge Books and online at www.quillridgebooks.com. Andre will be joining us at the North Carolina Book Festival, which is February 21st through 23rd in downtown Raleigh, featuring all of your favorite local, national, and international best-selling and award-winning authors. Look for more information at www.ncbookfestival.com. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.